And it's in the wonderful name of Jesus we pray. And everybody said, amen. You hang around connection any length of time at all, you're going to soon discover that Jesus is pretty important to us here. We focus everything on him. In fact, our mission is to connect people to God and to each other through Jesus. We make disciples of Jesus. We mentor those disciples or apprentices or students in the ways of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus to, to learn to grow, to be like him. And then we mobilize all of those disciples to go out and help other people become students of Jesus. Everything we talk about is about him. And here's why. I love you all. I care about you. All of you who are watching online, it's our ambition and hope to help you have a better life. But I know that I can't do that for you. Our elders and our leaders care about you. Our children's teachers, our youth sponsors, we all love each other. But I, I can't give you hope and purpose and meaning in life like Jesus can. So I'm just going to point you straight to the source of, of true life. The, there's a, one of the first followers of Jesus said this about him. And uh, this is just extraordinary. This person wasn't always a follower of Jesus. He, in fact, persecuted people who followed Jesus early in his life, had a, an epiphany, had a meeting with Jesus, and it completely changed his viewpoint. So if you'll, in your Bible, if you find Colossians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul, he's a church leader and church planter, said this about Jesus. Now, just as you have accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down deep into him. Let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. This is like an image of a tree. Do you see that? Your roots grow down deep in Christ, your life grows stronger, and the fruit of being a Christian should be thankfulness, and you're a stronger person. And then he goes on, and he's really concerned for these people. He's concerned for us. He says, so hey, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies. And high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who's the head over every ruler and authority. you got everything you need in Jesus. He's the source of every good thing that will come into your life. Same man who wrote these words wrote to the Corinthians that Christ is the power of God and he is the wisdom of God. That's 1 Corinthians 1.24. And I just, I read these verses and I just realize Jesus isn't just a good teacher. He's certainly that. And he's not just a good guy. He's not just a very loving person, which he was that as well. I look at this and I say, this is literally God in human form. This is the wisest, the smartest person who has ever lived. And it would just be in your best interest to completely commit your life to following him, to seeing what he has to say about anything and doing that. That's in essence what it means to become a Christian. You completely devote your life to Jesus. You take your cue and your leadership from him. You trust him to give you the life that you could never have on your own. And I look at the things that people did when they first met Jesus, and I realize everybody realizes that when they met him. If you were to go to, if, if you got a Bible, if we're going to be here later today, uh, in Matthew chapter 4, you find that there's this time where Jesus started preaching and teaching, and he was going all through Israel and Judea, just going from town to town and village to village, and he was just sharing the good news that, hey, the kingdom of heaven is now here. It's in, in me. God is now among you. It's now an option for you to be part of this eternal life. And everywhere he went, he proved that the kingdom of God was available by casting out demons, and he healed people, and he, he taught them in a way that people had never heard before. They loved him so much that when he would leave a village, people would follow him, and they would just go wherever he went. And soon, thousands and thousands of people were following Jesus, hanging on his every word. If This is a historical account. 
So you need to factor this into your opinion of who Jesus is, especially if you're newer to him. Take into account that the people who were first there said he's like nothing we've ever experienced before. He is kinder, he is smarter, he is more loving, he is wiser than anyone we've ever run into before, and they just could not get enough of what he had to say. And there's a moment, we're going to get to it in a second in Matthew 5, where Jesus just pulls everybody together and he starts talking to them about what it means to be happy. You know, in this series, we're just talking about what did Jesus say? Well, let's, let's consider what he had to say about happiness. Because I have a feeling that when Jesus talks about happiness, he's talking about something you care about. No one sets out in life to be unhappy and miserable. Remember that Super Bowl commercial for Monster.com several years ago? There's a bunch of little kids saying, you know, when I grow up, I want to file for a living. I want to claw my way to middle management. You know, nothing against those jobs, but a lot of kids don't set out saying that's what I want to do. Nobody sets out to be unhappy, and yet that's honestly where a lot of us find ourselves, not real happy. You know, it's, uh, why aren't we happier? I think there's like the things that in our lives where we don't have enough of. Obviously, we don't have enough money, we don't have enough time, we don't have enough opportunities. Maybe there's too much of something in your life, too much anxiety, too much stress, too, too many family issues and family drama. Uh, maybe it's just some things have changed in your life. I was listening to the comedian Erica Rhodes talk about this in one of her comedy routines. She was saying, you know, things change as you get older. She and her friends had gone out uh, to, to a bar like they would have done when they were younger, and they're like in their 30s now. And she said, yeah, I'm getting older. I just don't want to do the things I used to do. My friend and I lasted like five minutes in the bar, and we're like, let's get out of here. They were on their way to the car, and her friend looked at her and like, oh, my gosh, Erica, we're old. And, her fr- and Erica said, no. That's not what's happening here. We're not getting older, we're getting smarter. And we're just coming to realize that it just never was fun. I think there's a lot of things in life where you pursue the thing you thought would be so much fun and give you so much happiness and maybe a different moment, but then you go, this isn't working for me anymore. I really thought I'd be happier than I, than I am having achieved this having experienced that, having gone to that restaurant, having got to take that trip, the COVID restrictions are lifting and thought that things would be better than they, whatever it is, you can fill in the blank. There's just so many times where we go, just not as happy as I wanted to be. What do we do with that? I was uh, reading a biography, actually it's an autobiography of a guy named Tony Shea recently. You may have heard of him. Back in the 90s, Tony and some friends in college developed some stuff for the newly minted internet. You know those annoying banner ads on every web page you go to? Tony's company developed that in their dorm room. Thank you, Tony. Uh, it, it was so successful by the late 90s, Microsoft said, we want that. So they sold it to Microsoft for $265 million. So he's a kid in his mid-20s, set for life. And for a while, that was great. But then he just realized, I missed the excitement of being in the dorm room with the guys and working overnight, pulling this project together. And so he started an internet incubator, trying to help other businesses for the internet get started. And put all that money into that. And gathered some really talented young companies together. And then several things happened. You remember around 2000, the tech bubble burst? Some of you don't remember that, but some of you were around for it. Then 9-11 happened, and then the real estate market tanked out, and Tony pretty much lost everything. You go from being a quarter of a billionaire to having nothing. He did still have the businesses that were in the incubator, and he really liked one of them. It was a shoe company, so he put all of his effort into there. They actually had him become their CEO. Uh, it became Zappos. I think you may have heard of them. Tony led them to a billion dollars a year in sales, sold Zappos to Amazon, I think it was 2009, for $1.2, $1.4 billion. What's $1.2, $1.4, whatever, right? So now he's set for a second time in his life, and you would think, okay, now he's arrived, right? 
No. Through the 2010s, Tony tried everything to reclaim that excitement that he'd had and lost. He tried real estate. He tried drugs. He tried gambling. He tried extreme fasting. So many things, and he just never could find that happiness. Sadly, I think it was last year, Tony died in an, what was probably a drug-related accident. And you go, why is it that so many people want to be happy and just can't find it? And maybe that's your story as well. Maybe you're thinking, I'm not a billionaire, but yeah, I, I'm kind of not really getting what I thought I would get based on what I was trying. I think it'd be wise for us to go back to Jesus and say, well, what does the smartest person who's ever lived, the, the wisdom and the power of God have to say about being happy? And I think that, that he would have a lot of things to say to us. That's why once you go to Matthew chapter 5, I think you're going to be a little bit surprised with what you find here. Because the wisdom of Jesus, it's wise, but it doesn't always sound intuitively like the right thing. In fact, I think Jesus would look at all of us even 2,000 years later and say to us, if you want to truly find happiness and satisfaction in life, you're going to have to stop doing what everyone else around you is doing. You're going to have to go in a different direction. One of my favorite Bible teachers ever is Pastor Mike Bro, And he talks about when he was a student minister, had a big group of high school kids, went down to the river for a float trip. And the river guide had pulled all the kids together right before they left and went through all the safety stuff with the, the life jackets and everything else. And then he said, guys, huddle up. I just want to tell you something before we get in the river and go out today. So you know a lot of people, and I've been doing this a long time as a river guide, a lot of people just put their boats in the river and just kind of let the current take them down to the takeout spot. And that's fine. That's fun. That's what you paid for, right? You don't really have to work at it. You just put your boat in the water and let the current take you where it's going to. But just try this sometime. Put your boat in the water and go upstream. It's harder, so most people don't do that. But when you go upstream, you're going to see things that no one else sees because no one else does this. When you're going upstream, the animals aren't expecting you because nobody goes there. So you're going to see all kinds of animals that nobody else gets to see. And as you get further and further up the river, you're getting closer and closer to the source. And the water gets cleaner and purer. And when you go all the way up there, you get to the source. And then that river guy just looked at this group of high school kids, looked them in the eye and said, you know what? You're at a really good point in your life right now to turn things around and go in the other direction. And Mike Bro's like, man, this guy's great. Is he like a pastor, river guide? Come on. I think Jesus is kind of like that river guide in Matthew 5. I want you to go ahead and turn there and let's look at what he has to say about finding true life. So it says, uh, one day, remember this is right out of Matthew 4 where Jesus has been preaching and teaching and thousands of people are following him. One day he saw the crowds gathering and so Jesus went up on the mountainside and he sat down. That's what teachers do to teach culturally then. And his disciples gathered around him in his beautiful meadows and uh, Jesus began to teach them. And he said, first of all, in verse 3, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And you may have heard this as blessed are the poor in spirit. If you're familiar with the Bible, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about who wants to be happy and what that takes. And then he goes on, he says in verse 4, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You feel the contrarian spirit of this? Nobody would ever expect to hear this. Verse 5, blessed, God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice or for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. You know, as Jesus, the smartest, wisest person who ever lives, starts talking, he's just looking at everybody and saying, hey, you guys want to be happy? And everybody in the crowd's like, yeah, are you, you finding happiness? No, let me tell you how this works. Number one, blessed are you when you are poor in spirit. And everybody's like, I did not see that coming. What in the world are you talking about? 
So I think as Jesus starts talking to people, the reason that it sounds so contrarian is because we've spent so much of our lives just going with the flow, doing what everyone else around us does. We never stop to reflect, is it really making anyone else happy? Is it really working for anyone else? We just go with what everyone else does, and at the end of the day, we're surprised when we get the same results as everyone else does. And so a whole lot of people pretending to be happy when they're not. And Jesus says, let me tell you what is wrong with this world and what's broken, and you can start turning things around. Blessed are you when you're poor in spirit. It's easy to maybe over-spiritualize this, and I don't think that's the right thing to do. You're like, oh, being poor in spirit is just like um, being really humble, or it's being really godly. No, I think he meant what he said. What are some synonyms for poor? Broke, busted, tapped out, destitute, impoverished. How is it a good day? Why are you blessed by God when you are spiritually bankrupt? when you are spiritually tapped out, when you are spiritually at the end of your rope, when you, as uh, Pastor Mike Bro again says, you pull out your pockets and all you got is lint and nothing else, maybe an old mint or something. Why is that a good day? Well, Jesus says it is because you're about to get blessed by God. And here's the great thing. As you imagine this crowd of people who are listening to Jesus, and you can just imagine this now and yourself in the crowd, he's talking to people who are religious He's talking to people who have never stepped a day in the synagogue in their life and everybody in between. He's got lots of people in that crowd who had messed their lives up completely, who had made all kinds of poor choices. And he's saying, if you find that you, after all the choices you made to make yourself happy, have nothing left, that's a good day. Because God blesses people who are spiritually bankrupt. God blesses those who mourn. God blesses those who are humble and not humble in the good way. It's like you're just so low down that you got nowhere else to go. God blesses you when you are so hungry for something good in your life because you've done everything but. See, the wisdom of Jesus is contrarian, but you look at it and you go, maybe he's on to something. Because isn't there a part of you that understands that pride maybe has gotten in the way of you experiencing some real good things? You ever been driving somewhere and you know you're lost, but you won't admit it? How long, how many miles have you driven knowing you were lost, but I'm going to figure this out. I am not stopping. How many times have you been arguing and then somewhere in the midst of the argument, you know you're wrong, but you just keep arguing just to keep <laughs> safe face for a while? So I, I know I'm talking to all the guys in the room, being a guy. I know how we are. I, I assume maybe women are the same, but... Uh, uh, I just pride will sometimes get in the way of what's best for you because pride can sometimes get in the way of acknowledging where you're at spiritually and going, you know what, I am lost. You know what, maybe I should ask God for help. And Jesus says, man, that's a blessed day when you realize just how broke you are and that you realize you need to ask for help. Because there's a, there's a real danger here that when you hear the words of Jesus, you might feel a little conviction, and that's as far as it goes. You don't do anything to turn it around. There was a time back when I was in high school, I was going on a youth trip with our whole youth group, and uh, we are going, I think, into Michigan. So we were going to stop in Chicago on the way to do some sightseeing. We we're going to go up in Sears Tower or whatever it's called now. Yeah, and so it was just an amazing trip. They loaded us on a 66-passenger school bus, which I've never understood that. The school says this is no longer safe to transport students to, to school, and churches go, we'll buy that. We'll put our kids on that. So we're, just imagine being in a, an old 
prone to breaking down 66 passenger school bus in Chicago and we got there late. It was like rush hour and we're trying to find a place to park to go up into Sears Tower. It's like four o'clock in the afternoon. Our driver is super stressed. We were being little angels in the bus, not saying a word, being very quiet. We're back there yelling instructions, hey, go there, turn here. And we get to where, it, and you know, if you've ever been in Chicago, you know where the skyscrapers are down near that area. It's just like canyons. And so we get like waving through the traffic, trying to make our way. And our driver sees down one block what looks like a parking spot or a parking lot that we could fit the bus into pretty close to Sears Tower. So he's like, I'm going to go. And all this, we're all like, go, 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 because this is a miracle. The road that went down where he was going was four lanes, and it was completely empty. Not a single car. Like, this is a sign from God. And so he's starting to turn, and the lady sponsors on the bus are going, don't do it, don't do it. And he said, I'm going to do it. And he turned, and as he turned, we on the back of the bus could see why. It was a one-way street going this way. <laughs> Once we turned, we could see why it was empty. There was apparently a stoplight down one block, and there was just a wall of cars on the other side of that stoplight waiting for it to turn green. So <laughs> all the guys on the bus are going, you got it, go, go. And the ladies are going, no, don't do this. You still have time. And we're about halfway down that road, and he's shifting through all the gears, and you just imagine it grinding the whole way. And we got about halfway, and the light changed. A sea of Chicago drivers is coming towards us with this, and we did not make it to the parking lot before, and all these people are driving around us, and we're weaving out, and the, our driver's going, sorry, and we're seeing people stick their hand out. The Chicagoans are so nice. I'm sure that that one finger means, go, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was awful. We're like, back it up, Terry. Put it in reverse. We got to go. And, and uh, it, it was not good. And you just sometimes wonder what in your life are you doing just that exact thing? Where everything and everyone is telling you, don't go that way. Nope, I can do it. It's going to work out for me. And it's going to be wonderful. And you get in the middle of it, and it's not wonderful. And I think Jesus is saying, you've added a few of those up in your life. Who hasn't? If it's left you spiritually bankrupt, why don't you come and talk to me? I know what to do with that. God blesses the people that you would never expect him to bless. He blesses the people who are spiritually broke. Not what you would expect him to say. You know, as, as we uh, sometimes think about what the impact of things that have been going in our life, we know it's not good. Do you ever just have that sense of, I still got my hands at 10 and 2 on the steering wheel in my life, and it's not the right way, but it's my way? When you can get past that attitude and humble yourself enough to say, look, I, I'm not willing to pay this price anymore, that's the moment when things actually, ironically, start getting better for you. Many of us can tell a story like that. There was just a moment in life where you said, this is enough. I just can't do this anymore. I'm not going to do this anymore. I need God's help. Jesus says, you're blessed when you figure out. You can't do it on your own. That's what he says in verse 4. It's a good day when you mourn. And you think about this, Jesus is laying this out in a logical progression, I think. He's like looking around the crowd, and he's seeing who's out there. He says, blessed are you when you're poor in spirit, first rung on the ladder. Blessed are you when you mourn, when you not only recognize where you're at and the consequences of the choices you made, the things you should have done and didn't do, the things you didn't do but you should have, and you actually grieve over that, that's the next step towards God. That's the next step towards finding wholeness and blessing. And, uh, you know, it just ought to do something inside you when you realize what you have done and not done. I don't know, have you ever mourned over your sin? Has it ever just hit you right here? 
You ever been in a time, whether it's in a church service or just in your home or just in your car, where it just went, oh, and the weight of it all just hit you, and you didn't know what you're going to do to fix it? That's what Jesus is talking about here. It's not, don't over-spiritualize this. It's not a good thing to just go around sad all the time. He's saying it's good because of what's on the other side of that. There's a blessing from God. You know, there's, there's a difference between mourning and just kind of being sorry. There's a difference between uh, mourning and misery. And there are times, and maybe you can say this has been your situation, where you really hate the consequences of what, what you got to deal with. You, you don't like the things that you're having to face. But you're still not willing to let go of the thing that's making your life miserable. And you're maybe even trying to plan how to get it to continue to go, even though you know it's not really working and you know it's hurting you, it's hurting the people that you love, and you're still trying to figure out. That's just being miserable, but that's not really what Jesus is talking about. It's not really mourning. And I've got to give that disclaimer because I've been a pastor and a youth pastor a long time. I've been in my own skin for a long time. I've just seen this played out over and over. As my centennial friends like to point out, I was born in the late 1900s. They say it as though I was born in the late 1700s. And I see what you're saying there, but just take it from a guy who's really old. There is a difference between mourning and misery. And one of them leads to a good place and one of them doesn't. One of them achieves the blessing of God and one of them just continues the, the pain and the suffering that you're going through. And some people just want to, just to continue with that. And they're not broken. They don't want to get better. You can be miserable and not want to do anything about it. Or you can come to Jesus and say, I'm poor in spirit, I admit it, and I got nothing to, to justify it. I need your help. Those are the kinds of people that God is so ready to bless because you acknowledge that you need him. You know, I've, I've had some friends in my life, and I'm kind of mixing some stories together, uh, but they're pretty open about their story. There's been some addiction in their life. Uh, for a couple of my friends, it was a sexual addiction that started with pornography when they were little and extended up into their adulthood, and it got out of hand, as sin will do, and it ruined relationships. They got into all kinds of other relationships. They weren't faithful to their spouses. They... Uh, got fired even some of them from from work because of things that were going on and at the same time and they will tell you because they're both very healthy now but there was a point where as miserable as they were they weren't miserable enough to stop what was going on and they were still continuing because they they hadn't hit rock bottom yet they hadn't got to that point where they just realized this isn't going to work anymore i need help but Jesus says, blessed is that day when you do hit rock bottom, when you do realize that you can't do this anymore, when you take the hands off 10 and 2 of the steering wheel of your life and say, I need somebody beyond me, somebody more powerful than me, somebody wiser than me to help me. Thank the Lord such a being exists. His name is Jesus, and I'd love to introduce you to him if you don't know him. He's amazing. He's the best person you will ever trust your life to because he does know how your life should function. He does know how to pull you out of things that you can't pull yourself out of. And it's a great day when you mourn and grieve over what your sin has done to your life because you're going to find help. You're going to find forgiveness. You're going to find grace. You're going to find mercy. I love what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 7.10. There's a kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience that leads us away from sin, and it results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, just results in spiritual death. 
You know, there's sorry you got caught, and then there's sorry because you don't want this to continue anymore. Sorry because you want things to change. And I'm telling you, you will never have true happiness and soul satisfaction until you come to that point where you just say, God, I need your help. I need you to fix what's broken in my life that I can't fix on my own. You know, and then when that happens, and you just in true humility come to him, and you start recognizing there's a hunger within me for righteousness and for justice. And maybe you never realized that before, and you start craving things to be right in your own life and for things to be right in the world that are broken. That's God at work in your life as you're walking along the pathway with Jesus. And look, you can't skip steps. You can't say, well, I'll come back and get this later. This is how the creator of the universe, the wisest person who ever lived, says that you come to true life and how you come to happiness and soul satisfaction. It all starts with acknowledging where you are in relation to God and where you are in relation to other people and realizing that it just needs to change. I think for some people, and maybe you've been kind of in this boat, if you've been in church for a while, you may look at these beatitudes as they're nice things to put on a, a sign make something off of Pinterest to put it on the wall, like blessed are the poor in spirit as if it's a good thing. Being poor in spirit is not something to aspire to. It's something to recognize. It's something to admit. It's something to mourn and grieve over. It's something to turn to God and ask for help with. And God is so willing. He's not going to judge you. I don't know where you are in your spiritual walk with God. Maybe this is all brand new to you. You're just at the very beginning stages of learning about Jesus. You're, you'd say, I'm a student of Jesus because I just don't know what he has to say. I want you to know that Jesus welcomes you. And maybe you're just saying, I just don't know that God wants to have anything to do with a person like me. Think again. The only kinds of people that God works with are broken people because there aren't any other kinds of people. There's people who know it and people who don't, people who will admit it and people who won't. Maybe as we just start looking at the words of Jesus in this series, your next step is to simply take him seriously. See what he says. Consider his call on your life. I invite you to do that to just take a step toward God, take a step toward Jesus and see what happens. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you that you've revealed yourself to us through your son, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, that you brought so much wisdom to us. We're broken. We just, we, ironically, we think we're so smart, but we're not. At the end of the day, we need your help. And I pray for you to just break down anything within us that is prideful, that gets in the way of what's truly best for us. Help us to just see insights that we would never see if you hadn't revealed it to us. Shine a light on some things that need to change and help us to feel a, a true sense of conviction to even grieve and mourn over that. And Father, I pray for you just to give comfort to people who are struggling with things right now that they don't know what to do with. You're the way out. We believe that firmly. We worship you, Jesus, because of that.